today here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Ross, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Ross and Associates. Each week we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Chris Seroff of Fairfield Auto and Truck Service. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's an honor to be on your show. Good. Before we get started on the show, I thought I'd tell our listeners about some of the upcoming guests. Not a lot, but we're going to have next week Anthony Casablanca, who is the president of Rotex, a manufacturer of industrial screening equipment, and a lot more stuff. And then we're going to have Bob Risk, who's with Staples, and he's going to talk about a book he wrote called uh, Risk Preparedness. Later this month, we're going to have John Rogaine from Cap Gemini Spaghetti talk about uh, the IT industry, high end. And then in September, we're going to have Chris Cole from Intelligrated. Some of you may have heard me talk about the New Sandler book, Transforming Leaders the Sandler Way. We have a program uh, scheduled with Dave Arch, uh, two three-hour programs, one in Cincinnati, one in Columbus, to make you a leadership expert, to learn 52 critical leadership skills. Chris, is that something that some of your people might need, critical leadership skills? Absolutely. It's invaluable. Right. We, uh, we're going to be running that program this fall here in Cincinnati. It'll be uh, an afternoon program from uh, 2 to 5 p.m., and the early bird registration has been extended at $175 a person for one person or $150 per person with multiple people from the same company. Uh, registration for that is still open. You can contact Brittany at 513-753-9400. That's enough about future programs. We, we do have a cohort camp scheduled for... Uh, end of October, or it might, might have moved into the first week of November. Let me tell our listeners, Chris, about you. Chris Orff is the CFO, Chief Financial Officer, and Chief Operating Officer of Fairfield Auto Truck Service, located in Fairfield, Ohio. His company specializes in auto body repair of heavy-duty vehicles and work trucks. The company does frame straightening, multi-axle alignments, bodywork, refinishing, they do vans, pickups, box trucks, all the way up to big trucks like the freight liners and the Peterbilts. Chris attended, obtained his BS degree in business management from Miami University, Oxford, Ohio, and received accreditation from the Automotive Management Institute. Where, is, where are they located? They're located out of Texas. Mm-hmm. Did you have to go down to Texas for schooling? Or did the no, online? it's from continuing education classes at trade events, you know, uh, conventions over the years, accumulating enough credits to become an accredited automotive manager. Mm -hmm. uh, Chris holds certifications from ASE. Uh, a lot of people don't know what that is, Chris. ASE stands for Automotive Service Excellence. Mm -hmm. And uh, ICAR, and that means? Um, ICAR is a testing program that you uh, go through training and testing to become ICAR certified. It's one of the uh, major credentials in the automotive industry to be a repairer. Mm -hmm. And you're credentialed by the Inter-Industry Conference on Auto Collision Repair. That's ICAR. ICAR, yeah. okay. In, 19, in 2012, Chris was appointed by Ohio Governor John Kasich to the Ohio Board of Motor Vehicle Repair. Chris and the board worked to protect the consumer and level the playing field for independent businesses. Uh, exactly what does the uh, Ohio Board of Motor Repair do, Chris? We oversee um, auto body shops in the state of Ohio to make sure that they have the appropriate insurances in place, uh, the appropriate EPA permits, hazardous waste permits, 
um, and liability insurance. There are there there's been a rash of um, people getting their cars fixed on Craigslist and through backyard repairs, and their vehicles are not being fixed properly or bad repairs. And the Closure Repair Board tries to weed those people out and have legitimate businesses that protect the close consumer mm-hmm. available for, for people to get their cars fixed. So to run a, a legitimate auto body and truck repair shop here in the state of Ohio, do you have to be licensed by the state? It's not a license. It's a registration. Licensing may be coming in the future. Mm-hmm. Right now, just collision repair shops have to be registered, but mechanical shops most likely here in the near future will, will be part of the registration as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there are some uh, black market repair shops? Yes. They're, everybody's trying to save a dime nowadays, and if they you know, minor accidents, they tend to go to people that can work on the side. And cars are getting complicated nowadays where even just a minor bumper repair, you know, just fixing and painting a bumper can have life threatening implications in the future for that person driving the car. A lot of people, consumers don't understand uh, what an auto body bumper is. In, you know, the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, you had these nice chrome steel parts that were clearly visible. They were the bumpers. What are the bumpers today in most cars? Today, in the past, like you said, the bumpers just protected the wheels or they, they, were, they were there to protect the vehicle, where now bumpers are designed to protect the occupants. They're specifically designed to take a a certain amount of force and distribute that force throughout the vehicle away from the occupants. And there's sensors in vehicles now that if they're not recalibrated properly, if they're they're blocked or inhibited by a bad repair, the sensors won't act properly. And if those vehicles were to be involved in an accident again, the vehicle may not perform as intended by the manufacturer. So as a repair shop, you can calibrate the sensors in the vehicle? Uh, Yes. In fact... Almost every vehicle in the last five years pretty much has to go through a factory scan tool to be recalibrated after it's been involved in an accident. In really, even a minor accident, most of the OEM recommendations say the vehicle must, with a capital M-U-S-T, be recalibrated or have a zero-point calibration after it's been involved in an accident. What's a zero-point? A zero-point resets the safety restraint systems uh, in order to make sure that the vehicles, that people are sitting in the seats Mm-hmm. Uh, like a weight sensor mm-hmm. to see if there's people in the passenger seat or rear seats, um, and also check the seat belts to make sure the tensioners, the pre-tensioners on the seat belts are operating properly. And if you have a factory, uh, so you have a seat cover on the passenger seat, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that could affect, and you get an accident, that can affect the inertia switch on that seat to know if there's an occupant in that vehicle for, to let the airbag know when to deploy if the vehicle were to be an ac- in an accident again in the future. Mm-hmm. So someone puts sheepskin seat covers on their car and it's got airbags, that's a recalibration. Uh, it could possibly not let the airbag function properly. And mm. if, uh, if the vehicle's been in an accident and that, that sensor has been reset, mm-hmm. the next time the vehicle's in an accident, if that sensor hasn't been recalibrated, it can create an issue with the airbags not deploying. Really? So it's a, a sensitive non-consumer repair? Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. In fact, if a vehicle were to get an accident or in the vehicle is in the need of an alignment, mm-hmm. there's a steering angle sensor on the vehicles now where a lot of times people, if, if their steering wheel is out of center, mm-hmm. they'll have the alignment shop recenter the steering wheel. Right. Well, if that, steering, if that vehicle's computer is not recalibrated, the steering angle sensor is not recalibrated, uh, the next time that vehicle's on the road and with the accident avoidance systems on cars, Next time, if that vehicle senses it's going to be in an accident, it actually can manipulate the steering wheel. And if, if that steering angle sensor is not properly calibrated, the vehicle can respond as unintended and create an accident, create another accident. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, with the scanners now, we can check out, we do a pre-health check. So when the vehicle comes in, we scan the vehicle to make sure it's functioning properly and to find out what was damaged in the accident. And then after we repair the vehicle, we do a post-health check mm-hmm. to make sure that vehicle is functioning properly. Um, because there may be something that we did that set up a, a code up in the computer. And just because the dash light does not come on, mm-hmm. the check engine light, the check right. engine light, even though that light's not on, doesn't mean there's problems. There, those problems can arise later down the road um, after the vehicle's been cycled, turned on and off, you know, a certain amount of times, and then, then the light may come on. And the light may not come, out, come on for 
um, ever. So if the vehicle's not scanned in and out before and after the accident, mm-hmm. you're not the vehicle's not being 100% properly repaired. Mm. Could that be a safety defect? Um, not caught? Oh, absolutely. In fact, if we scan the vehicle out to put in an accident, shops are starting to find that the vehicle had been repaired prior to, mm-hmm. and they did not do a post or pre-health check, mm. and those modules weren't recalibrated. Mm. And the accident that we're looking at now may have been because of the non-calibrated car from the prior accident. So insurance companies now are looking at mitigating risk and going after the people that repaired the vehicle from the prior accident. And it's in the future, you're going to see more and more litigation and more and more shops getting into trouble because they were doing factory scans on vehicles. And some of those accidents that are in the shops now were created because of a bad repair prior to. So uh, I was talking to uh, an owner in our Mercedes club about a vehicle he had, a relatively new one, that had automated steering for lane control, mm-hmm. okay? And if the vehicle sensed that it was out of its lane, in addition to vibrating the steering wheel, it would activate the rear brake opposite the direction it needed to turn just enough to nudge the vehicle back into lane. Absolutely, and that's where the steering angle sensor would come into play. So if that steering wheel were to be centered while it was being aligned to the shop and mm-hmm. it didn't calibrate it, when you try to make another, when it needs to move in and out of that lane, it's not going to act as it was intended. Mm. So that steering angle, that would now then be a part of an alignment process. Yes. In fact, mechanical shops, tire shops, they're going to start seeing problems. Uh, if they don't have access to factory scan tools, cars are not going to be properly repaired. Mm-hmm. And it's... Uh, it's a big challenge in our industry. In, in your shop, what brands of uh, factory tools do you have? There's some solutions out there where there's uh, third-party companies that you actually hook the car up mm-hmm. to the Internet. And over the Internet, it goes to the to their location, and they have all the factory scan tools with all the ASE iCar certified technicians on staff. And you pay them a fee to scan the vehicle, and they produce the reports of what's wrong with those modules in that car. And then they walk you through. We work together to fix the car properly, and then we do a, sometimes we do an intermediate repair check to see how we're coming along, and then, as I said, the post-repair check. So that's done online. We could put our cars online because the car has a computer. Yes. You have to buy the tool to be able to hook up over the Internet for the car to communicate to mm-hmm. the factory scan tool at the third-party location. So one third-party location has, you know, 25 manufacturers of vehicles, scan tools. Absolutely. It's very expensive, though, and it, the fee per vehicle adds up, but... Um, it's, it's making the repair faster because we can find out what's wrong with the vehicle earlier in the repair process, mm-hmm. and we can get the vehicle turned quickly and safely and return back to the customer and feel good at night that we can put our heads on our pillows and we gave our, we, we're putting safe vehicles on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris has agreed to uh, take callers from the audience. Uh, as always, the number is 646 and we'll be uh, taking calls during the uh, commercial breaks, screening the calls during the commercial breaks. Uh, I actually met Chris for the first time at a tip club meeting a few months ago, and we're going to have the next tip club meeting on August 21st, Thursday morning, from 7.30 to 9 a.m. Uh, here at uh, 4357 Ferguson Drive. And let's listen to uh, Jimmy Fox talk for a minute about tip club. Hi, I'm Jimmy Fox of Tip Club. Tip Club is a professional networking organization whose members help each other succeed. We meet once per month and provide a forum where business-to-business professionals are able to connect with more desirable opportunities and build long-term strategic partnerships. I'm inviting Cincinnati Business Talk listeners to come to our free networking event. You'll have the opportunity to meet new people, share leads and referrals, and grow your business through strategic alliances. Membership in our Cincinnati group is open to only one person per specific trade or occupation. Business-to-business professionals only, please. We do not accept multi-level marketing or recruiting-driven memberships. This is our only group in Cincinnati. We'll meet on the third Thursday of the month from 7.30 to 9 a.m. at Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, 4357 Ferguson Drive, Cincinnati, Ohio. To reserve a seat, 
please go to www.tipsclub.com and click on the Events tab at the top of the page. Then, just scroll down the list until you come to the Cincinnati event. Or you may call 800-798-0270. That's 1-800-798-0270. Thank you, and we look forward to seeing you at our next networking event. This is Mike Roth and Chris Stoff uh, from Fairfield Auto Body and Truck Repair Service. Uh, Chris, if someone wants to get a hold of you after the show to ask you a question, how do they do that? Thanks, Mike. Um, you can reach me at my office at 513-874-5857. We're also on Facebook at FATS Inc. That's FATS Inc. And also our website is www fairfieldautotruck.com. We're in the middle of updating that right now, so we'll have a new site rolled out here shortly. And you can also find me on LinkedIn, and uh, we have a company site on LinkedIn as well. Good. Uh, Chris, why don't you tell uh, our listeners a little bit more about yourself and how you wind up at uh, Fairfield Auto Truck Service? Well, I'm second generation in the business. My dad uh, started the company in 1980, 34 long years ago, uh, with a partner, and through high school and college, I worked part-time um, in the business, and right when I was graduating from business school, he and his partner um, decided to go their separate ways, and um, I wasn't what I was planning on doing out of college. Uh, I didn't really know what I was going to do out of college, and got into the family business and worked alongside my dad, and uh, things were pretty good. We uh, transitioned through the buyout, and things were moving in the right direction. We were up to about 30 employees, and... Then the economy tanked, and when the economy tanked, things got rough, mm-hmm. and I had to make some uh, quick decisions and get out of my comfort zone and do some other things in the business, and uh, and things were rough for a while. And then I got we got into a business council of other truck shops from around the country, like and, a twenty group, like a twenty group, and that's been a great uh, influence on our business. It helps my dad and I. We're a mix of old school and new school, mm-hmm. and, uh, it, and there's a synergy there, and we're having a lot of fun with it, and. Um, we're rocking and rolling now. And, um, things are things are moving in the right direction. Good. Uh, how do you go to market and find uh, new customers? Um, we have we've been in the business for a long time. We've had uh, very good relationships with a lot of the dealers in the area. Uh, in the whole tri-state area, we've we work with close with the dealers, and we're their back-end body shop. So if a Peterbilt that's based out of Arizona happens to have an accident in Cincinnati. They tend to go and call the dealership, and then the dealership ends up either subletting it to us or directing the work directly to us. There's also a lot of leasing companies that um, tend to fix their own vehicles, but some of their customers um, have liked our service and actually write into their leases that they'd like to have their vehicles repaired to us, that repaired at our shop, mm-hmm. keep their downtime to a minimum and their costs to a minimum. And there's also some fleet um, networking companies out there that we do business with, and that's how we get referrals. Then those fleet uh, networking companies, typically once we get that customer in, we've been had a relationship with them. What does a fleet network mean? Fleets have had a lot of fleet, big trucking, or big uh, companies that have a lot of vehicles. They've had bad experiences in the past dealing with bad shops, and they end up going to these fleet networking companies that try to take some of that burden off of them, and they try to find good shops to, to work with. And then they send the work through to, to the shops that they vet. Mm-hmm. People like FedEx and UPS, do they do their own work or do they send it to somebody like you? Um, UPS does some of their own work, but they sublet their heavy hits to us. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, I would say like HVAC companies, um, uh, plumbing companies, they have mm-hmm. a lot of work vans. Right, right. Or uh, they tend to use fleet management companies. And so once... Once they, we get to work through the fleet management companies, we provide pretty good service, and then eventually they becoming they end up becoming you know, our own customer, and and then skirt the entire fleet networking mm-hmm. model altogether. Why do you think most people uh, buy from you? Because one of our goals is to let the cust- give the customer their their worst case scenario as far as price goes. We we tend to, we don't we don't give them a lowball price, 
and then after we get the repair and get the vehicle apart where they're a hostage, and then hit them with a large supplement later on, we try to give them everything up front as much as we can. And because of that, they start building trust in us that we're not, we tend not to have a big surprise at the end of the repair. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in auto repair, where I'm more familiar, uh, most of the time, you don't know what the cost of repair is until you do this disassembly to see what all the hidden damages are, and they can be much more than the, uh, we were talking about bumpers before. Right. You know, the, the actual physical steel bumper is underneath uh, a layer of plastic, the bumper cover, which is, uh, again, covered un- underneath by some styrofoam for absorption before you get to the steel bumper. You don't know how badly it's dented, damaged, until you take the covers off and the styrofoam off. You're exactly right. And that's why we try to build a rapport with our customers so we can get the vehicle. Once they trust us, they we try to get the vehicle disassembled as soon as possible mm-hmm. and, and get the estimate and the supplement written up front. And do, we, do, we try to do 100% disassembly so all the surprises are gone. And then by doing that pretty much up front right after they had the accident, in a short period of time thereafter, they know what their sunk costs are. Mm-hmm. And then in doing that also... We minimize repair time. For our customers, every time their vehicle, every day their vehicle's on the road is costing them money. Um, you know, the trucks are so complex and so unique to that fleet that you can't just go out for an enterprise rent a truck. You actually have to, you, you can't replace a truck with a rental typically. There are some trucks you can rent, but a lot of our customers have specialty equipment that are one of a kind and they need that road, that vehicle back on the road making money as soon as possible. What would be an example of that? Um, for work trucks where all the tools and tooling is on the truck, uh, crane trucks that have um, large cranes to lift whatever there is, it is that they're working on, uh, fire trucks. We do a lot of fire trucks and emergency equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do school buses? We do school buses as well, yes. Um, I imagine every year in the fall you get busy with school buses because they're new drivers. Typically new drivers, yes. And then we get planned in the summer when the buses aren't being used. To, to get the buses fixed in the summertime and back on the road for spring. Mm-hmm. A lot of yellow paint, huh? Yes. Okay. Uh, what is the unique uh, market advantage that you have that sets Fairfield uh, auto and truck re- service apart? Uh, like I said, we, we try to minimize the cycle, the, the repair time, and we go we, we sell ourselves based on we'll get the vehicle back on the road quickly and safely. Mm-hmm. And being that we've been in business so long, our reputation tends to precede ourselves. Um, so that's our competitive edge is get their vehicle back on the road, making money. Okay. Uh, you said earlier that you had a, up to 30 employees at one point and before the uh, Great Recession hit. Uh, how many are you back up to now? We're up to 18 right now. But when the economy went south, that's when I had to like, stop managing from the office and actually get out on the floor and go to where the work was being done. Mm-hmm. And we found new, uh, better ways to do things more efficiently. And now we're doing um, more in sales with, than we did at the period where we had 30 employees. Really? And with, uh, with 18. So you made, made the shop more efficient. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a, a long-term strategic planning process in place? Yes. Right now, uh, my father and I are transitioning to business. We're um, hiring new employees, and we're, we, we have to grow because vehicles are changing. A lot of the trucks now are going to compress natural gas, and we have to have a facility that can accommodate that. Um, explosion-proof lights, uh, air movement systems, because when that gas rises to the ceiling, it can create an explosion, and it's a unique That's problem. not a good idea. No. So in order to do that, we need to have more customers. To, to fill that base space up. Do you actually have you actually worked on compressed natural gas trucks so far? Yes. Right now we have to defuel them. We have to take the tanks out, and then it, the vehicle becomes a pusher, and we have to. Uh, it, it's it's labor intensive and it's costly. So twelve guys have to get behind the truck to move it. We have equipment, uh, large forklifts and large equipment to help move it, but it still is very labor intensive. Yes. Okay, and then you have to put the tank back in. Yes. Load it up so you can test it. Exactly. Hmm. So what, what, when do you think you're going to have your explosion-proof building? Uh, we're, we were hoping to get it in before winter, uh, but it's looking like um, mid-year next year, most likely. Um, and, and so we have to adapt to the new technology. But in long term, like looking years down the road, 
um, we may look to expand uh, in other areas of the city. And uh, it, it, right now, we basically cover a 100-mile radius. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, there's opportunities north of Dayton and south in the uh, Lexington, Louisville. So maybe someday, as if we if we can get our business model down to where it's running efficiently, efficiently, and we're getting there, we're making it better and better every day. We're getting leaner and able to do more with less. And once I'm confident we have that model down uh, and, and to where it's repeatable, and then it would be time to move and, and grow. So you add up to two remote shops. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, being a tr- logistics uh, area here in Cincinnati, I guess that makes a lot of sense. Yep, and with and with the vehicles getting more complicated, a lot of the competition is not set up for it, and we want to be a first mover and be able to take advantage of, uh, of the competition dropping out because we can't keep up with technology. Okay, again, we're going to be taking questions during the commercial break. If you have a question for Chris, uh, the number is 646-595-4916. Chris, let me ask you one uh, more question before we uh, go to a break. Uh, what is the most important thing that, that people ask you for uh, in, in repairing a vehicle? The most important pe- thing people ask us for when repairing a vehicle is when will it be done? Um, it's time is money, and we try to process the vehicle as fast as possible. We've had long-term relationships with parts vendors. Mm-hmm. Parts are extremely hard to get on trucks. On cars, the databases and parts information is easily accessible and available. Mm-hmm. On trucks, they're so specialized, unique. You might need a two two weeks to a month lead time on a part. And because we we built good relationships with our vendors, um, we're able to try to speed that process up and get the vehicle back to them as quickly as possible. So you don't run into the problem of the part has to be run down the manufacturing line. Sometimes parts come off the manufacturing line and come out to the aftermarket on occasion. Wow. Um, but especially when the economy got really tight, uh, it was very tough to get parts because they were all the all the parts that were available were going to the factory line, so uh, you had to put a, a mandatory priority on parts in order to get it shipped off the line in, into us. Mm-hmm. So it was very very tough. Good. We're going to uh, listen to a couple of Sandler commercials here again. If you want to call and have a question for Chris, the number is six four six five nine five four nine one six. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting. 513-646-6523. Or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is a message for professional salespeople. It's an unusual message. I'm going to tell you that our product is expensive and difficult. It takes effort to use, and it's not for everyone. We provide difficult but effective sales training. It's the kind of training familiar to champion athletes. It builds winners in the world of business. We don't promise quick fixes or color brochures, only hard work that will teach you how to sell effectively, even when your price is higher. If you're tired of hearing, I want to think it over. If you're finally ready to invest in yourself and your sales career and learn how to close more business faster, call me, Mike Roth, 513-646-6523, and we'll invite you to our next Lunch and Learn Sales Discovery Workshop, 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth and Chris Sturff. Our next Business Builder Series luncheon is on... September 10th. It'll be at the O'Banion Creek uh, Country Club and Golf Course. Okay, uh, Chris, you've been running the show for a while with your dad. Perhaps you could give our, our listeners a leadership tip. Um, one thing I learned is instead of telling your employees what to do, instead of doing stuff to them, you have to do stuff with them. 
um, interacting with the employees, getting conversation about how to solve problems, and get, getting them involved in the conversation, I think is very, very important because once you get them involved in solutions, they tend to have a buy-in and they're more, they, they have more ownership of it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, and then when you bring in new employees, they're, they're indoctrinated into, to, uh, to the, what your company came up with as a group on how to, how to go about repair processes or sales processes because they believe in it because they're a part of creating it. Mm-hmm. So I think doing stuff with your employees instead of doing stuff to your employees is, uh, is, has been a huge asset and, um, something I learned is very valuable. So in our marketplace, do you have any idea what market share you have um, for the segment that you're in, heavy-duty uh, trucks and equipment? I think we have about 30 to 35 percent, and that's just shooting off the cuff. I'm not positive, but uh-huh. uh, I've never done any formal research on that. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're one of the bigger players in the in the, in the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you identified who your best prospects are that you aren't doing business with yet? Uh, yes, there's quite a few customers out there that I would like to, to get in front of and get their business. Um, I mentioned earlier one of the difficulties is they're over-the-road trucks that travel all around the country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you can never, accidents are not predictable. And uh, so even though they're based in Cincinnati, they may not have an accident in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, we want to get as much of that local business as we can. And the key is to try to find the vehicles that are from out of the area and happen to have an accident in Cincinnati to try to get those in. So how do you do that? Um, through our relationships with the, with the dealerships. Um, dealerships. And then we're working on internet marketing, trying to, there's a couple websites out there that deal with truck down, I think one website's truckdown.com, um, and there's, there's some other industries, they're truck specific websites for when their vehicles down, truckers tend to go to these websites to point them in the right direction of where to go for service. Well, I was figuring you were going to say something like, I sit there every day and read the police accident reports. I've actually done that, yes. Okay. Yeah. Was, was that fruitful? Um, it was. I, I, I mean, I, I never, I didn't police, I didn't go uh, ambulance chase by any means, but I, I wanted to see the, the, the trucks that were going through our area mm-hmm. and frequenting our area to mm-hmm. try to find out if I could get in front of them. If they were having regular routes regularly scheduled through Cincinnati, I wanted to be on the radar as far as a possible, as, as a possible repair. Mm-hmm. So did you reach out to them successfully? I did. I did. Um, it, it got pretty expensive getting the police reports, and it was a lot. It was labor intensive, mm-hmm. but it was an uh, avenue I wanted to try, and mm-hmm. it wasn't completely successful. Now, okay, okay. If we uh, wave the magic wand over you and solve the three biggest business development issues for you at Fairfield Auto Truck Services, what uh, three issues will be solved from the magic wand? Um, one of the problems is getting employees to be able to, to fix the vehicles. Um, we standardized processes and um, created a process and procedures that everybody buys into, mm-hmm. uh, and that's helping get a transfer of knowledge from the senior techs to the new techs, and we're able to bring up new techs much more quickly, and that's starting to fill the void. But it, trying to find quality technicians is very difficult. Um, another issue would be uh, just the changing technology on vehicles is very difficult to keep up with, and um, trying to stay up, trying to keep maintaining the equipment to keep up with the changing trends with trucks has been challenging and expensive. And the other issue would be, I would say just being found with the internet, um, trying to get our name in front of the vehicle, in front of the companies and the decision makers that make the decision on whether the vehicle gets fixed has been proven difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the people at terminals that, that divvy out the work, they're on a budget and they're only looking at cost. So they like the lowball estimate mm-hmm. at first and trying to educate them that the vehicle needs to be repaired in a timely fashion. There's we may be a couple thousand dollars higher on the repair, but if we can be, turn the vehicle in five days, um, that, 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 that sooner the vehicle will be on the road and making money for them and we'll actually be saving them money. So trying to educate the garage level, um, decision makers is very difficult. Mm-hmm. So. It doesn't sound like you've got a successful answer to that problem. Well, through networking, um, mm-hmm. trying to find, uh, um, getting in front of businesses and talking to other executives and professionals in the industry, I've been getting the name of the person 
um, that it does handle the fleet inside the company mm-hmm. and directing uh, communication to them, whether it be email, phone calls, and we're starting to make some headway there. So it's it's just a matter of talking to people, networking, and and asking them who who the decision maker is in their company, getting that name, and then going after that prospect. Mm-hmm. So I assume that therefore you have no trouble at all with the owner operators. The owner operators aren't decision makers so much any longer. Uh, I'm sorry, the owner operators with their own trucks. They're uh, they're they're not a, they're not a major player in the industry anymore. The consolidators have come in, bought them up. Fuel prices have put them out of business. There's very few owner operators out there, um, and the ones that are, that are out there, um, where I was uh, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I was under the impression that Landstar, a large uh, fleet operator, only has owner operators that put the Landstar label on their truck. They do lease out to owner operators, yes, um, but they that a lot of them have fallen by the wayside as well, mm-hmm. and. Or, or they have they have a the leasing company pay the bills for them. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have as much say so because they're controlled in Nissan. They have contractual agreements with the the, the leaseor. So it's a uh, it, it, it's going to big fleets. More there's more fleets out there um, than there are independent operators. Mm-hmm. So here in the Cincinnati area, approximately how many fleets are there? They're headquartered here. Oh, there are quite a few. Uh, it's number round numbers. A uh, hundred, two hundred, five hundred. I would say three hundred or three hundred or more. Three hundred or more owners of vehicles to make decisions. Yeah, I would say so. Mm-hmm. Okay. Would you say your best prospects are these owner operators? Um, no, I, I say our best prospects are are the larger fleets. The um, the like Duke Energy, the Runkies, the Cintas, the Penske. Okay. In the preview for the episode, we talked about EPA certification, and you and I were talking about uh, the hazardous materials that you spray on as paint. Can you be a little bit uh, enlighten our audience about about these EPA certifications that a shop like yours has to go through to be uh, clear and clean to the environment? Certainly. Um, the state of Ohio EPA. Uh, is concerned about volatile organic compounds, VOCs, and the paint that we spray for heavy-duty trucks is much more durable than the typical car paint. And therefore, today is uh, mainly water-bound, water-based. The color is water-based, but the clear coat is still solvent-based. Mm-hmm. On the truck side, it's still all solvent-based, but um, where gallons of paint used to have five pounds of VOC per gallon, that's the solvent inside the paint. Now, now most most of the paints only have two pounds of VOC per gallon. That means the paint's much thicker and higher solids mm-hmm. and much more difficult to spray. And and they still some of those colors have heavy metals in them that are regulated by the federal EPA. And what color the, would that be? Uh, the yellows. Uh, there's cadmium, lead, zinc. Um, so, our listeners, please don't chew on yellow. <laughs> yeah, I advise that you do not chew on yellow paint in the trucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but in order to spray these vehicles, the state of Ohio, you have to have proper permits to install and operate. And very few shops in our area, in fact, I think as of November of last year, there's only ourselves in one other shop that has the proper permits to spray the uh, heavy-duty truck paint in the Cincinnati area. Mm-hmm. And there's very few auto body shops that are actually properly permitted as well to even spray car paint. Um, and it's a very... It, it can be very difficult to go through the process to get the permits. It's labor-intensive. Uh, labor There's a lot of paperwork and uh, a lot of data collection. You have to keep records of everything that you put through your shop, and it's it's expensive. And that's, uh, that's actually one of the things that makes it very difficult for uh, body sh- other body shops to start up. A lot of dealerships don't have body shops specifically because it's so difficult to get the proper EPA permits. Mm-hmm. Would that be difficult or next to impossible? Uh, difficult. Um there, in a regulated area, I believe there's, there's a certain amount of VOC that's allowed to be sprayed in an area. Mm-hmm. And as people get the proper permits, uh, it, it limits the amount that are, that are available to be to be dealt out. So, in other words, it's kind of like uh, alcoholic beverages. There's just a limited number of permits that the state will issue in an area. Um, from what I understand, it's, it's similar to that, yes. Okay. Um but one of the things we do to limit VOCs is we're spraying with nitrogen now, ionized heated nitrogen. Ionized heated 
nitrogen. That's a new one on me. It allows us to spray at lower air pressures with smaller spray nozzle tips, which mm -hmm. drastically reduces overspray, increases the transfer efficiency of the paint. So okay. more transfer efficiency are you getting? Uh, we're, we're getting at least way more than 75% transfer efficiency. Uh, and what does a typical auto body shop get? By EPA law, you're supposed to get 75% transfer, transfer efficiency. Um, and we're seeing 85 to 90, I believe. We're, we're drastically re reducing our materials by spraying with nitrogen mm -hmm. and our, keep the cleaner paint booth, the cleaner paint job, um, very less rework. It's easier to have um, color matches. It's, uh, it's, it's, helped, it's been a huge benefit to us. And it reduces our VOC emissions. Good. Again, Chris has agreed to answer questions from any of our listeners. You can call in on 646-595-4916. Let's listen to a San LaRue. Let's listen to San LaRue 41. I'm Jody Williams from the Sandler Training. Here today to talk about rule number 41. There are no bad prospects, only bad salespeople. You know, whatever's happening in your account is your responsibility. And, and one of the things that we see is salespeople, well, they tend to externalize their problems. And they tend to blame the economy or the marketplace, the competition, uh, the marketing. You know, there's always something they're blaming. And when they get into a prospect, they can tend to blame the prospect for why they didn't buy. You know, they'll say things like, they just don't get it, or they don't buy value, they only buy on price. You know, if, if you hear that, you know, we don't buy, we don't buy on value, we only buy on price. Who's, whose fault is that really? It's a salesperson. That's why a salesperson has a job, is to sell value. And one of the reasons this happens is, I think we live in a victim culture. People tend to, for whatever reason, blame things. They flip on a sidewalk and they sue the homeowner as opposed to saying it's their fault. And so it's not unusual for people to make these excuses, but, but, we, but we have to fight it and fail. Because until we take responsibility, we're never going to be truly successful. So the next time you get a no, don't say, you know, a prospect didn't get it, or I, we had a personality conflict, or they, they only buy on price. Ask yourself the question, what could I have done differently? And, and here's, a, here's a challenge I'll give you. For 30 days, Write down all your self-talk, all the things you tell yourself, because we all talk to ourselves, right? And write down all the, all the excuses you're making for lack of results. And I would challenge you to strive to live with a no-excuse mindset. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Chris Surf of uh, Fairfield Auto and Truck Service. Uh, Chris? We have a theory of operation here that uh, simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong. Uh, perhaps you could share with our listeners a complex problem that you found. You came up with an equally complex solution to solve that they might be able, in theory, take the solution to their industry. Well, uh, we were having some production issues. Uh, we weren't getting jobs through smoothly there. Um, we were having some pain problems. And... Uh, I learned a lesson that I needed to get out of the office and, and understand the business um, at its heart. I needed to get on the floor where the work was being done, and I needed to get the training. And I, I went out and went to and got my paint certification training. Um, and I always thought, you know, I'm, I can run the business from the numbers. I can I can look at the uh, accounting and run it from the numbers. But I really learned that you you need to go and look at the details of the business and get get out of the office and see where you know how things are being done. Go back to the basics, you know, steal ground balls, catch fly balls. Go back, go back and see if your your team is able to do that still. And uh, went to certify, went, went and got certified to paint training, came back and noticed that there's some things that we were doing wrong in the paint department. Mm. And like what? Um, like we were spraying with a few higher air pressures with large spray tips. We were having bad color match issues. We were having some some solvent pop issues. And um, what's a solvent pop? Uh, it's when the uh, solvents are trapped underneath the paint and they tend because there's too much paint on the panel mm -hmm. and after it dries that solvent tries to work its way up through the let's say the crust the top of the, the top layer of the paint mm -hmm. and you'll see bubbles or hazing mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's because we we're applying way too much paint mm -hmm. and through uh, through going through the training and 
with a fresh set of eyes, I, I, I didn't, I've never pulled a spray, pulled the trigger on a spray paint uh, gun ever before in my life. And just going in with it, being naive with a fresh set of eyes and going to where the work was being done and seeing what my technicians were doing and asking questions. Um, and, and I learned a few stuff with the employees instead of to them and led them to where I thought they needed to go with the training that I learned. Mm. And through that, that's when we, uh, started using smaller tips, lower air pressures, and had better color matches, cleaner jobs. And we found a nitrogen system, which even amplified that even more. Um, Where do you get the nitrogen from? It extracts it out of our compressed air. And okay. Holds it, the membrane extracts it and holds it in the container. Okay. The one we're ready to spray. So you're self-extracting the nitrogen. Yes. So through that, we saved a lot of materials, putting out a better product, mm-hmm. and we're um, putting a lot – it increases our production and gives a higher uh, – um, higher quality product for our customer. And it, it, it was all just a matter of getting out of the office, getting out of my comfort zone, and uh, looking for new opportunities to save money and have a better product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you sprayed trucks and cars yourself? Uh, I've dabbled in it. I figured if I can do it uh, somewhat good, my employees can do it, should be able to knock it out of the park. And I've done that and did a pretty good job. And now it's, it helps set the bar. Before we went on the air, we were talking about some unusual vehicles that you repaired. Uh, perhaps you could share with our listeners a couple of them. Well, we're a large heavy-duty truck shop, and we have a huge paint booth. It's 72-foot long, 20 foot, 25 feet wide, and we can spray large vehicles. And we've done everything from the Cons Wienermobile to the UDF cow, that fiberglass cow that they have every once in a while in front of some of the stores. Uh, we've done the, uh, the Cons Pig, fiberglass pig. All the way to submarine parts. Uh, we the way to submarine parts. How does that work? Uh, the it was before, right before my time. I started the company, but the government had us spray some off pieces, large panels for, that run on submarine, and uh, they locally, the manufacturer made it locally, mm-hmm. and they couldn't find anywhere to, to paint it. So we have a, a unique facility. We're able to spray very large items. We've done uh, pieces of artwork. Uh, we since we have the capabilities of doing uh, very large objects, we can do just about anything in our paint booth. Mm-hmm. So what kind of repairs did you have to do to the Oscar Mayer uh, Wienermobile? Uh, it was just it was scuffed up a little bit. There's young college kids that drive those things right mm-hmm. out of college, and uh, we just had to do a little bumper repair to it. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how customized those vehicles are. They, The interior of them are pretty elaborate. They have uh, hot dog headrests for the on the on the vehicle and um it's it's a very it's a freightliner chassis with a fiberglass hot dog uh top on it. It's basically like an R V but it's just a very elaborate one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you have to match the color to for the Oscar hot dog. Yes. Yep. How do you do that? Because like it's it's not a regular standard truck where you can go to the the original manufacturer's color code. How do you match color on that's a original color? Um, we Not have original, a, I mean custom mixed, I guess. We have an electronic camera that's called a uh, color spectrophotometer, and it measures the color in light waves. Mm-hmm. translates that into a formula. Um, but also, even OEM, even if you have the OEM factory color, there's so many variances at the factory, depending on where it was made, if they just changed out the line from another color, that uh, every OEM factory color has may have six different variants that you have to scan for and adjust for, or else you're not going to have a proper color match. Mm. So you have this electronic machine that measures the color. Yes. And does that give you a formulation of the paint to mix? Most of the time it does. Um, sometimes you have to go back to the talent of the technician. Mm-hmm. And everything we paint, we do a spray-out card for, and we keep a library. So over time we've built a pretty good library, and we can find colors that were similar to it. And then, based on our very talented technicians, they can tint the color just by using their expertise and move the color in the right direction. And that's labor-intensive. That takes some time and uh, patience. And but we we always make sure we have a good color match for our customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's important. A lot of times uh, on vehicles, you see uh, either a smooth finish or uh, like an orange peel finish that comes from the factory. You guys duplicate both of those? Yes, and because of our nitrogen system, it's heated, and we're able to warm the paint or cool the paint. 
and adjust the solvents to either make it a textured finish or, or a glass smooth finish. So because of the nitrogen machine, we're able to dial in the texture to match the OEM texture, and it, it gives us a lot more control. Hmm. Is that something that's widely available here in Cincinnati Walker, or are you one of the few shops that have that too? We're one of the few shops that, that have it. We're actually the first truck shop in the country. Um, we look at the top three products that make those machines. Mm-hmm. We're the first truck shop to, to use one. So, uh, and now that same product's being used at the Honda's, Honda Marysville plant. Honda's made a core technology in all their plants. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's definitely a cutting edge. Good, good. Uh, before we wrap up, let me give you uh, one other question. Uh, what motivates you to make tough decisions, Chris? Well, we need to put a good product on the, uh, for our customers. We need to make sure that they're driving their vehicles safely. Uh, we want to make sure that uh, we give them a positive customer experience, and we try to make uh, everything we do at our company, we try to think of the end user and who's going to be driving that vehicle. And mind you, we're all driving along these trucks, alongside these trucks on the highways and trucks and buses. And if they're not, if, if the axles aren't, uh, haven't been x-rayed, there's cracks in those axles, uh, you can have a big mess on your hand. So that, that that's an interesting other problem worth a minute or two. X-ray the axles. You actually have equipment to x-ray a truck axle? We have a relationship with a local company called Acturin that we take the axle off the vehicle and send it out and have them x-ray it. And we found internal cracks in the cast iron axle. And most shops would, many shops I know don't do that. And the, the axle may look straight, mm-hmm. but they may have internal internal fissures that they're not aware of and they can fail in the future. Mm. So things that my family drives on, things are repaired properly. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Chris, I want to thank you for being here on the show and an appreciation of being on here. I'm going to give you a copy of Sam's uh, first book, You Can't Teach Your Kids to Ride a Bike at a Seminar. Uh, in the book, you'll find a copy of our uh, training calendar. We have over 40 hours a month of training and a uh, free training pass, so feel free to uh, come out to one of the sessions. And, uh, again, thanks for, be- for being here. And, uh, Scott, why don't you uh, close out the show? Thanks for listening. This program is the property of Sandler Training by Roth and Associates, Inc. The show may be distributed only with written permission and then only in its entirety. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. I failed. Stop button. <laughs> Pretty neat. Maybe I'll switch. Mm-hmm.